We've already been reminded Christ is all around us. Thank you, Terry and Kate, for that beautiful message and song. Aren't you uh, glad that we serve a God who loves his people and has good things in mind for us? My privilege to be here this morning. I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's raining. Uh, I don't know that we'd have any more of a crowd if it wasn't raining because the district superintendent's preaching this morning. So I, I like having the rain as an excuse this morning. But I'm very glad that you're here, and I've looked forward to being with you. I want to bring you an update uh, on the pastoral search. I've had the privilege of meeting seven times thus far with your church board, and I just want to take a minute to, to brag a little bit of, on your church board. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying working with them, uh, walking with them on this journey. They are prayerful. They're very diligent in this search. Uh, they're very unified, and actually, we we have a pretty good time when we when we get together and we uh, we begin almost every meeting here around the altar in prayer. Uh, first meeting we had, we accomplished three things. We we wanted to determine how we were going to say thank you and farewell to Pastor Ron Fite, and I want to thank you for the generosity that you showed, he and Miss Vicky. Uh, we also determined the process that we would follow in this pastoral search. And then we determined that we would ask Bill Allmitt to serve as interim, which uh, Reverend Allmitt was, was glad to do. Is he doing okay here? Uh, good, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. He seems to be uh, enjoying himself and grateful for the privilege of serving you as well. Second meeting we had, we developed a profile, uh, a profile of this church, a pretty good description of what this church is like. It's a description that we're sharing with pastors that uh, we, we have a specific interest in. We also developed a profile of the community or the mission field, your mission field here. I might need to change that a little bit. I, I didn't realize about all the dogs that are in the mission field. We, we may need to adapt that a little bit. And then we, we de describe the kind of pastor we're looking for. And uh, from the third meeting on then, we began to uh, specifically look at pastors and look at their resumes there have there are eight pastors that we've kind of had on our radar screen and we've requested five resumes uh, from those pastors that we've looked at uh, intently the board has listened to several sermons from three of those pastors and then Tuesday this past Tuesday we had uh, an interview with one of those pastors it was a great interview and I had great hopes that he would uh, accept the, the call to have the membership meet him and to vote on him. He prayed Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, called me late Friday, and uh, indicated he is just not released from his present assignment. And I had the sense that he had, he had really struggled about this in prayer. But I and the board have a great deal of confidence in this pastor, and we've been praying for God's will, and we believe God's showing his will. So uh, we'll continue the search. In fact, I'll meet with the board right after uh, the service this morning for a few minutes as we determine the next steps. I bring you this update just to remind you that God knows exactly where you are, and he has a pastor in mind to serve you and to lead you. And just pray for me and pray for the church board as we continue to discern who that individual is. Uh, we're not discouraged at all. God God's leading us in his time frame. And actually, the interview we had Tuesday um, 
probably helped us learn a little bit more about ourselves that we needed to know that'll help us con as we continue this search. So just ask you to continue to pray. God's, uh, God's leading and directing, and, um, and at just the right time, you will meet uh, a pastor that I think will be easy to embrace and easy to love and easy to follow. And I look forward to that day, as I'm sure you do as well. Uh, before, before we get to the message, just a quick update on the district. I want to bring you, bring you good news from the South Carolina District Church of the Nazarene. We have a 2020 vision. Our vision is that uh, God would give us 100 vibrant churches of the Nazarene in South Carolina by the year 2020. This weekend, across South Carolina, there are 72 Nazarene congregations that are meeting and worshiping. Several of those are new. We'll be organizing a new church in Florence at uh, District Assembly. We'll be organizing a new church in Charleston at District Assembly. We've had a church in Ridgeville, South Carolina, that's been meeting for three weeks. We have a pastor who feels called to plant a church in Georgetown. And God just seems to be blessing us and calling different people. And it may be in the next three or four years that God would raise up a, a person, a couple of people out of this church to plant a church, to begin something brand new for the sake of the kingdom in the Church of the Nazarene in South Carolina. So I just want to encourage you to join us in praying that God will, will bless this vision that, he, that we believe he's given us and that we'll see more churches, more people one to Jesus Christ. At the same time, we want 100 vibrant, healthy churches. So the 72 churches we have now, we need to be healthy and vibrant and growing. And we're praying that this church, which has been one of our leading churches and one of the 10 original churches that made up the South Carolina District Church of the Nazarene, this church that's been so critical and important to our heritage, that this will continue to be a vibrant, exciting, growing church and a bright light in your mission field. Very seldom, I'm often invited to preach, but very seldom am I told what I'm to preach on, which has kind of made it easy for me. I didn't have to pray a whole lot about what I was going to preach on this morning. I was told what I was going to preach on, which uh, pleases me greatly. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, which is kind of an unusual text, but I think, uh, I think it'll make sense to you once we get into this. Would you join me in standing this morning as we look to the word of the Lord? 1 Samuel 22, just a word of background. David is not yet king of Israel. He has already killed Goliath. He has married the daughter of King Saul. Uh, he's led a division of the army of Israel. And he has been so successful that King Saul, who is David's father-in-law, has become insanely jealous and is trying to kill David. So David has escaped. He's run away from Saul. He ran, first of all, to Gath, which was a strange place to run and hide because Gath was the hometown of Goliath, the Philistine. And uh, David has had to pretend that he was crazy so that the king of Gath wouldn't kill him. And now he's run away from Gath. And we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, 
they went down to him there. Here's the verse. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the sense of your presence this morning. You've invited us to your house, and we've gathered, and we find that you're here. You've been here waiting on us. Thanks for your presence among us, for the ways you've been speaking to us through the worship, through the special, through the prayers. And we pray now that in these moments, you would speak to us through your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't it amazing how the church seems to attract messed up people? Does your church have any messed up people? Amen. Now, don't, don't be looking at somebody as you say amen. The church does attract messed up people. Church of the Nazarene, the denomination began with a bunch of messed up people. Preacher's name was Phineas Brzee. He pastored in Los Angeles. He felt drawn to begin this work in the inner city in Los Angeles among the homeless and the hopeless and the hungry. And he began this mission in the midst of people who were broken, in the midst of people who were, who were hobbled by hang-ups and they were hungry and they were homeless and they had hurts and they had these habits and he waded down into the midst of them and began this work that became the church of the Nazarene. That's how we started. We started with messed up people. As a pastor, I ministered to several messed up people. In fact, I had a nickname for them. I called them EGR people, extra grace required. Makes sense, doesn't it? EGR people. These were high-maintenance people. We seem to attract a lot of them in the churches that I pastored. Bobby was one of these EGR people, extra grace required. Bobby was 65 years old, and he has some arrested development issues. He was emotionally and mentally disabled. Bobby was a mess. He was a real mess. He'd spent about 20 years of his life institutionalized, and uh, some changes had been made in society, and he was released from the institution, and he lived in an apartment downtown, the city where I pastored, by himself. He would come to church almost every Sunday morning, and there were some Sunday mornings when he would come to church with his cassette tapes and his boom box, and he would tell me that God wanted him to sing a special that morning. So how do you deal with that? Well, I had a choice to make. Am I, am I going to find a way to somehow gracefully disappoint Bobby and bear the consequences of that? And the consequences were directly tied to whether or not Bobby was on his medications. If he wasn't on his medications, there were going to be some extreme consequences to me saying no. Or am I going to say yes, and I'm go am I going to subject about 200 worshipers to bad Christian karaoke that morning? The thing was, Bobby would always select just the right time to ask me. It was usually in the lobby, 
and there were usually four or five people standing around me, when Bobby would walk up to me with his boombox and he would say to me, God told me to sing a song in worship this morning. I learned over those months and years of dealing with Bobby that the people who were standing around when Bobby would ask me, the people who were standing around would think to themselves, we're going to find out this morning just how much grace our pastor has. And I found out that people were much less likely to be driven away from church by Bobby's actions than they were by my reactions to Bobby. The church attracts messed up people. They are EGR, extra grace required kind of people. Michelle was another messed up person. Michelle was an atheist, and she was an alcoholic. When I met Michelle, she would have been in her early 30s. Her husband had began attending our church and had been saved. And one afternoon, I felt impressed to call Michelle's husband. I just, I just had this, this strong urge. It's happened to me several times at, in ministry. Strong urge, you need to call him. So I picked up the phone and called him, and he said, I can't believe you're calling me. I said, what do you mean? He said, about 30 seconds ago, my wife told me she wants a divorce. I mean, we're sitting right here in the living room, and then you call. I said, I'll be right over. He said, I'm not sure you want to come. I said, I'll be right over. I'd never been to Bob and Michelle's house. I pulled up, knocked on the door. Bob came invited me in. Michelle was sitting there in the living room. There was smoke on the living room. She was smoking. There were beer cans on the coffee table. And as soon as I walked in, she began to curse me. And I sat down and began to listen to Bob and Michelle talk about life and about their marriage. Bob was glad that I was there. Michelle did not want me there at all. And I listened and I prayed, and I invited Michelle to church, and she said, I'll never come. But Bob and Michelle had a daughter. And a few weeks later, their daughter was in our vacation Bible school, and there was going to be a big program the Sunday after vacation Bible school. And Bob and Michelle's daughter had a, had a place in the program, in the vac vacation Bible school program. And lo and behold, Michelle came to church to see her daughter in vacation Bible school. And the ladies in the church somehow recognized, here is a lady who is messed up bad, and she's EGR, and God has led her our way so that we can love her into the kingdom. And they reached out to her, started inviting her to lunch, and a few weeks went by, and Michelle started coming on Sunday mornings, and I still remember the Sunday morning, Michelle came forward at the end of the message when I gave an invitation. She came forward, and she stood right there in front of me, and she said to me, what do I do? And she knelt and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. It's amazing how the church attracts messed up people. Now the text we read this morning in 1 Samuel 22, the text 
reminds us that David was a magnet for messed up people. He's on the run from Saul. When he runs away from Saul, he doesn't have anybody with him. His best friend, Jonathan, who's been a covenant friend to David, Jonathan's not with him. David's by himself. But God begins to lead people into David's life. And it's interesting, these people, that these men that God leads to David, they are distressed, they are in debt, and they are discontented. I've got to tell you, there's some Nazarene churches I know of that are filled with that kind of people. Distressed, in debt, and discontented. I don't know if it describes this congregation or not, but I can take you to some. The first people David attracted were people who were men of broken fortunes. They were looking for a place to belong. They were losers, though. And these are the kind of people that David is attracting. David, who's going to become the king of Israel, at one point, he's going to have an army of a million men. But he starts with 400 men who are distressed, discouraged, in debt. They're far from winners. They're losers. They're messed up people. And you, you begin to ask yourself, why would God send these kind of people to David? And I think the answer is because God wanted to see how David would treat messed up people. I think before God ever sends anybody, people who are wonderful, who are marvelous, who are gifted, who are assets, before God ever sends us magnificent people, he sends us messed up people to see what kind of heart we have, to see what kind of character we have, because it's messed up people that God uses to build his kingdom, messed up people. Do you ever think about how Jesus was a magnet for messed up people? In fact, that was the rap against Jesus during his ministry. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they would criticize Jesus. They would say, look at all the messed up people around him. Messed up people were drawn to Jesus. The disciples would say, Jesus, these people are messed up. They're driving us crazy. Let's get away from them. And Jesus would say, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to seek and save the lost. It was as though the disciples had forgotten that they were messed up people before Jesus found them. And nobody's more messed up than the woman at the well. It's John chapter 4. Jesus is journeying through Samaria. He comes to Sychar. He comes to this well, which is Jacob's well, and it's noon. Now, in that culture, at noon, the women weren't out because the sun was high and the day was hot. And if you needed water for the day and everybody needed water for the day, you went to the well early in the morning when it was still cool. You gathered around the well, you got your water, you went back to the house so that in the heat of the day, you already had the water that you needed. You didn't have to go out into the sun. But this woman is at the well at noon, which makes you wonder, why was she at the well at noon? It was because she was messed up. She was messed up, and the other women in the village, 
They did not want anything to do with her. And if she ever came in the morning while everybody else was getting the water, the way they treated her made her know she wasn't welcome there in the morning. So she's there at noon when Jesus comes by. And to her great amazement, Jesus begins a conversation with her. They're having this conversation. She's interacting with him. And Jesus asks her to call her husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You have no husband, but you have had five husbands. And the person you're living with, the man you're living with now, is not your husband. And she says, you must be a prophet. And they begin this conversation about the Messiah. And she discovers that this Jesus is not just a prophet. He's Jesus, the Messiah. And she goes back into town, and she tells everybody, come and hear this man who has told me everything I've done. He knows everything about me, but he has accepted me. And I've placed my belief in him. And the whole town comes out to hear Jesus, and many of them become believers. It's amazing how the kingdom of God begins with a bunch of messed up so, is your church a magnet for messed up people? The world's messed up. And if we're, if we're ever going to make a difference in our world, then ministry is going to be messy. Messy, because the world is messed up. Do you believe that there are messed up people in our world? There are gangs, drug addicts, Pornography addicts, LGBT devotees, folks with emotional problems, financial problems, relationship problems, folks who are over-medicated, folks who are under-medicated, chronically ill individuals, blatant sinners, and a good number of hypocrites. In fact, there are days when I think the only normal people in the world may be you and me. And there are days I wonder about you. <laughs> messed up people. Is this the kind of church that attracts messed up people, or do you repel messed up people? Do you invite messed up people to belong and to be part of you, or do you run them off? We love a God who loves the unlovable. He loves messed up people. Amen. And he invites us to have hearts like his heart. And the church is the, the place that's supposed to attract messed up people. This is the place where we're supposed to attract people who have hurts and habits and hang-ups. The church is the place for messed up people. A church that does not attract messed up people is not a ministry that looks like anything Jesus did. I think how we treat messed up people, how we treat EGR people, is the best indicator of our heart. It's easy to have grace for beautiful people. It's easy to have grace for talented people. It's easy to have grace for people who make the church better or stronger 
But how we treat EGR messed up people reveals our heart. And I've discovered that there are two kinds of churches. There are churches who pray this kind of prayer. Lord, please send us some magnificent people who can help us. And there are churches who pray this kind of prayer. Lord, please send us some messed up people that we can help. And I'm wondering which kind of prayer this church prays. A church that says, we're tired of messed up people. Is like a doctor who says, if I see one more sick patient, I'm quitting. It's like a mechanic who says, if I see one more car that needs repaired, it's over. The church specializes in messed up people because Jesus specialized in messed up people. And messed up people need to know that Jesus can heal a broken heart. He can forgive a guilty heart. He can cleanse a sinful heart. He can transform a selfish heart. Messy people need to know there is hope in Jesus Christ and the church is the place where they hear that message and where they receive help. It's amazing when the church attracts messed up people. It's alarming when the church does not attract messed up people. Well, one more thing about this messed up people at the well in Samaria. This messed up woman, after she met Jesus Christ, she had a magnificent testimony. It was her testimony. Testimony of this messed up person who brought so many people to Jesus. In fact, she brought more people to Jesus than the disciples ever did. She brought the whole city to Jesus, and many of them believed. She had this magnificent testimony, and that's the thing about messed up people. When they come to Jesus, they have magnificent people. The problem is, some of us have been in the church so long, We've forgotten that we used to be messed up people. We've forgotten that we used to be messed up and we met Jesus and he's made all the difference in our lives. And when we met him, we gained a magnificent testimony. But some of us have forgotten that we're called to share that magnificent people. We're called to tell people, you think I'm messed up now? You should have seen me before. I was really messed up before. But one day I met Jesus. And I gave my heart to him. And the difference that he's made in my life has been amazing. You wouldn't believe the difference that he made in my life. We have a story. You have a story. I have a story. It's a story of a Jesus who transformed messed up people into magnificent testimonies. God has a heart for messed up people. Jesus has a heart for messed up people. Do you have a heart for messed up people? The messed up people I deal with are pastors who mess up. It's church board members who mess up. It's people who know better who mess up. 
And I tend to go through all the stages of grief when I deal with people like that. My heart goes out to them. I, get, I feel broken for them. Their brokenness breaks me. I want to help. Then I go through a stage where I'm angry with them. You knew better than that. How dare you do that? Why did you lie to me? I'm finished with you. Forget it. I'm finished with you. And then the Lord tends to remind me, there are messed up people everywhere. It's not just the sinners in the street who are messed up that I'm to have a heart for and the church is to have a heart for. It's the people among us who know better, who mess up, we're not to ostracize them. We're not to shove them away. We don't ask them to leave. We treat them as Jesus would treat them. We welcome them. We invite them to experience his transforming grace. And we provide the kind of environment of grace and forgiveness Amen. where God can bring transformation to people's hearts and lives. There are all kinds of messed up people. You put somebody rich or famous or beautiful around us and we just ooze grace. But what about messed up people? Do we still have grace for messed up people? I tell you, the way our world's going, we're going to have more messed up people. There's more messed up people than there were 20 years ago, I guarantee you that. Not only are there more messed up people, there are more people who are more messed up. If ever there was a need for a church who opens hearts and arms to messed up people, now is the time, now is the need. And just imagine what magnificent testimonies we might hear in this church from messed up people who are welcomed, who are loved, who are one to the kingdom, who experience Jesus and his transforming power and their messed up lives become magnificent testimonies in this church. So let's find some messed up people. Actually, I don't think you even have to find them. If there's enough grace in this place, they'll find us. Three things, and then we're going to sing. Number one, let's not forget that we were messed up people. And that some of us still are messed up people. Number two, let's not forget to share our magnificent story of how Jesus changed our lives. And number three, let's not forget that the reason this church exists is to love messed up people all the way to Jesus. Amen. We exist to love messed up people all the way to Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, I think uh, probably the most appropriate song for us to sing this morning as we conclude is this great hymn of the church, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a messed up person, a wretch like me. Let's stand as we sing together.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence this morning. Thanks for reminding us of the kind of heart that you have, the kind of heart that you call us to have. I pray that you'd bless this church as it continues its mission and its ministry in this mission field. Help us, Lord, to reach out to messed up people, to have a heart that welcomes them, that loves them, and that most of all points them to you who transforms hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to meet the church board in the fellowship hall in just a moment.